0: I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversation, diverse connection, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live episodes focus on life beyond recovery the good and the not so good the successes and the challenges and the authentic accounts of recovered lives not their whole story just bites hi everyone The Karen Lewis Eating Disorder Center is expanding throughout the country. If you are an experienced, well-trained therapist with lived experience, whose clinical approach aligns with the values represented in these podcast episodes, or if you are seeking treatment, we would love to hear from you. Please go to our website, KarenLewisEDC.com. All right, everyone, here we go. Another wonderful episode. My guest for today is Dr. Rachel Evans. And Rachel is a psychologist that has been doing some pretty phenomenal work around helping clients with bulimia nervosa. And I'm telling you, this is a fascinating episode. We talk about everything from shame to medical consequences To hypnotherapy. So, I just think it's a great episode. So, let's just jump right in. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites. I am really excited to have our guest on for today, Dr. Rachel Evans. Rachel, welcome to the show. Hi. So glad to have you here. So, Rachel can you tell the listeners a little bit about who you are the work you do and then we're going to get in and and get a little bit deeper into the into the interview
1: Yeah thank you so much for having me I'm really excited to be here as well so um today I am a psychologist I work exclusively with clients recovering from eating disorders and specifically bulimia, but I also have clients um, with other presentations as well, because we know eating disorders don't just fit into like a little meat box. But actually, my interest in this um, area was I knew I wanted to be a psychologist, but not what to do. And then I developed an eating disorder myself, which started off um, very restrictive, kind of orthorexia, um, worried about is this clean, is this too much? And then that developed into bulimia. Um, so I've kind of got that inside insight into um, eating disorders, recovery. Obviously, my client's experiences are different to mine, but it kind of helps me to have some understanding for both sides. Um, so now I, I bring that understanding into sessions, for obviously, all the academic knowledge, therapeutic skills, um, and I really help people uh, like rebalance their physiology, then rewire their mind, and then rebuild their life without the eating
0: disorder. By the way, I want you to say those last three again, because you said them very eloquently, but they, I, I want to make sure everyone heard him. S- say the last three things that you said of what you do specifically.
1: Oh, yes. So <laughs> I've been working on like the business side of my business um, and I spent ages. I had this huge, massive mind map of all the things that I do. And I managed to distill it down into kind of three columns. So we look at rebalancing physiology. So that could be if someone's restricting, um, how to make sure they're getting enough nutrients. It can be, um, you know, if someone is purging and making themselves vomit. Uh, obviously, that has a big effect on physiology. So we're rebalancing, but also rewiring. So thinking like, well, how do people think about food? How could we change those beliefs? How could we help people think differently about their body? Um, So they don't need the eating disorder anymore. And then um, I always change what the last one's called. They're all art, all breeze. (laughs) Because I thought it sounded more catchy. Um, Sometimes I call it like rebuilding or... um, I can't remember what we used to call it. I don't know. Let's go with rebuild for the minute. (laughs) It says something different on my website. I can't remember what it was. Um, But basically getting your life back without the eating disorder. Because I think often it takes over your whole identity. Like I know I was known as like... Well, Rachel's the healthy one, even though I wasn't actually behind the scenes. What I was doing was very unhealthy, but it was really hard for me to start ordering different things, like when I ate out or something. So we kind of help um, people imagine their life after the eating disorder, so they can kind of move forward and step into that life.
0: It's it's a great model. It's it's I I I think what most therapeutic models do is a version of that. And we all go about it different ways. So there's so many questions I want to ask you. I mean, I I, I just want to like throw it all out here. So I want to talk today about shame and eating disorders, medical consequences and eating disorders, um, emotional freedom technique. Is that what you use with tapping? Like, Rachel, I'm just really excited to have you on. So pick one of those three. Where would you like to begin?
1: Yeah. Shall we start with shame? Maybe I think that's a big thing for a lot of people.
0: I think that what I've noticed, there is shame in talking about bulimia. Um, It is not always as recognized in treatment settings. There's often a heavier focus on anorexia. I think that adds to the shame um I think that we're in a culture that actually puts diagnosis diagnoses I apologize in particular boxes of uh I'm dare I say judging which is a quote unquote better diagnosis to have and forgive me everyone I know that sounds incredibly horrible to say and clients have come to me saying that all the time that I I don't have a good disorder I don't so let's talk about shame does that make
1: sense yeah that definitely makes sense I think the restrictive eating disorders or maybe someone has lost weight because of it or looks to be doing healthy behaviors um, are often like praised you know people saying like oh you're eating really healthy that's a good thing and I know when I was restricting I say when I had that kind of healthy persona I was actually very proud of that so I had an eating disorder but actually I wasn't ashamed of it I was letting people know these are the things that I'm doing because it was also being praised by society and obviously there's kind of a line that's crossed if people do lose what's in vertical is too much weight will start to maybe look um, kind of look unhealthily thin and people might start to worry but I think there's that whole space in between when you know people are kind of ramping up the severity of behaviours that we're getting praised for it, or you just look on the internet and it's telling you, oh, start this new diet, start that new diet, cut out this food, cut out that food. So obviously eating disorder is very different to going on a diet, but it can get quite mixed in. Um, So I think maybe there's a couple of reasons there why um, restrictive eating disorders don't always come with that sense of shame. Um, And then I would say kind of the like binge eating or bulimia, The things that people often say to themselves are like, I've got no self-control, I've got no willpower, I've failed, kind of these, I can't think how to describe it, but almost undesirable qualities. Um, Well, people think it's an undesirable quality to have, but actually we know, um, and I know from my PhD research, it's not actually about willpower. There's a lot of other things involved, but we think, oh, it's willpower, I just need more willpower, I'll be able to stop this. Um, And especially with bulimia, when it's making yourself vomit or taking laxatives, I don't think we like to talk about bodily fluids (laughs) or like being sick and such. So I think that adds another layer of shame as I don't want people to find out that I'm having this binge. I don't want people to find out that I'm making myself sick. Sometimes often thinking like, what's wrong with me? I know I thought like I'm really broken, but then there's also that sense of like, i don't want someone to take this away from me because i don't know how to cope i didn't consciously think this but this is what was going on i don't know how to cope if i don't have that binge and purge so i kind of want this shame to keep me safe with these behaviors as well um so that's my kind of take on why it would be shameful. And then I don't know if you want to respond to that. I'll we'll go into why I don't think it should be shameful.
0: <laughs> well, I I mean, I agree with what you're saying. And, and I say, let's just go right into why you don't think it's shameful because it isn't shameful. It's human suffering and there is no shame. There should be. I, I would hope there would be no shame attached to human suffering.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Really good point. Um, I think with my clients, when we're going through, therapy or going through working together they often do get to this point that they can understand how they've got to where they are and what's going on and almost that understanding I think helps to lift the shame because they can see oh anyone who has been through those experiences that you have been through might have ended up with these same behaviors that you have or maybe they might have ended up abusing alcohol or something else in order to cope, maybe um, someone was bullied when they were younger for their weight or something, started to diet, got into that restrict binge cycle. So it was actually on a physiological level, um, you know, the restriction was leading to binges, there was maybe emotional eating, but they can understand for them specifically what was going on. And there's never one cause for an eating disorder. We can't say, oh, it was definitely that, but when they can start to build up a picture of these different things, that was happening, I think it just is almost a light bulb, like, oh, it did happen, I think as well, um, when I work with the clients, I help them to build up that compassion for themselves, because I think we often have a lot more compassion for someone else who's struggling than for ourselves struggling, and then when we can build that up for ourselves, um, we can sort of let go of that, that shame of what happens.
0: Speaking of taking away the shame and when you were saying people sort of having compassion for themselves, could we, as a result of that, transition into emotional freedom technique? Because one of the things that I saw you do, and I don't know if we can fully explain this on a podcast but not only is there are there pressure points where we're touching ourselves but there's also mantras and one of the things you said was and I'm paraphrasing but i binged and purged last night and i still love myself or something like that and you said if you can't say that yet like i still love myself can you just say i binged and purged last night and i'm okay so Let's let's talk a little bit about that.
1: Uh, yeah, okay. So emotional freedom technique for people um, who don't know, um, this is a very short version, but um, there are different pressure points on your body that we will um, tap on. Uh, they're linked to like meridian points in your body. So like, you know, if you go for reflexology or acupuncture, they're putting needles in specific places to link to um, other regions in your body. Um, And so the ones that we used for emotional freedom technique are almost, well, (laughs) the way I describe it, kind of the most bang for your buck kind of um, points. So there's not too many to remember. There's only nine points. Um, And this technique kind of helps um, probably all three pillars that I was talking about earlier. The rebalance in terms of um, this philosophy is saying, like, the emotions get stored in our body, trauma gets stored in our body. so. Cognitively, we could understand that happened to me. I'm trying to process it. But if it's still in our body, it's still going to affect us. Um, so you probably had experiences before, like when you get anxious, and you can literally feel your body is responding to that. It's not just your brain's like, oh my God, danger, or you know, whatever your brain is saying. Um, it can also help with the um, cognitive side of things, rewiring kind of things mentally, like I just found from my experience, but also from clients when we're tapping the different points often people just have this moment of insight which could even be like that thing that I cared about so much doesn't even matter anymore it happened five years ago like just doesn't matter or once I was doing it I was like so stressed out about something in my business I was tapping tapping and I was like oh let me just message my accountant and then she'll tell me the answer and then I don't have to stress. like it's so it was so simple um and then probably um, depending on what words you say it can help with that rebuilding um, and that new identity and the sort of positive looking forward so um what you were saying about the mantra or like the setup is before we start with um the other points which are like the top of your head there's some points on your face kind of going down stop tapping on like your collarbone and your arms. the first point you'll tap at is called the karate chop point
0: on your hand. So imagine that you
1: like garage chop someone or a piece of wood. It's like the side of your palm by your little finger. Um, so we'll be tapping on there. And so the phrase we pick a specific topic for the session, but it's like even though, so it could be like, even though I binged and purged, or you can use it like preventative, like, even though I had the thought to binge, or even though today is really overwhelming. Um, so the and part of the phrase that we like to use is like "I love and accept myself," but I know that's very hard for some people. I have some people who are like, just don't say anything. I love, like, are you struggling to say that? And like, yes, they just cannot bring themselves to say it because it does not feel true at all to them. And um, so, some other kind of things that you um, you can say is like "I'm learning to love and accept myself," or "I'm okay," or like "It's okay." Just really gentle, like "I'm okay in this moment." or it's going to be okay, um, it's kind of nice. Now, when we've done some tapping, like first we rate out of 10 how emotional um, the thing feels so, or, like, how true the thought feels. So if you've got the thought, like, I really need to binge, otherwise I can't get through this evening, we would say, okay, maybe that feels like a 10 out of 10 at the minute. Just tapping on, on the karate chop point, even though it feels like I really need to binge and I can't get over today, I'm okay. And then you do some tapping. We—it's we'll, very hard to explain because <laughs> it's quite nuanced, But you would tap the different points, and then we would see. Oh, okay, maybe that number's come down, um, saying different kind of things. I hope that makes sense. I just—I think it's sorry. I need to—it's a nice technique for people to learn because they can go home and do it themselves. So that's why that—it's kind of like a coping tool
0: as yeah. well. It's a nice technique for a few reasons. One, the, the the person doing the mantras and the tapping, you're automatically trying to take away shame on self by having compassion and saying, I'm okay. I'm loved and I'm okay. Or I'm going to learn to love myself, whatever it is. So you're already trying to peel away at some of that shame. The other thing that it does is it interrupts the process. It gives you enough time to slow your the rapid thinking that goes on when someone's struggling with an eating disorder and wanting to engage in behaviors and you know I'm saying this very frantically right now because that's how it feels in the mind and it slows everything down. and usually when we interrupt the process by pausing like that we have a better chance of finding a healthier coping skill than turning towards the eating disorder. And I feel badly as I'm saying this, I'm like, Rachel, I don't mean to be explaining what you do, but is that a way to explain it?
1: I think so. It was a very good explanation. And sometimes I even say to clients, like, even if it doesn't work, as I was saying, like, um, to help release the emotions, even if you just had a pause and didn't think about the issue and feel a bit better. Great, we're still winning. <laughs> it doesn't really matter either way. Like you say, it's an interruption. Um, and I do find clients some clients really love it, like if they're quite tactile, they really like the touch element of it, or if they come, if they feel their feelings really strongly in their body and like, overwhelmed, really love it. I have some other clients who are like, hmm, that's not for me." which is fine. It doesn't have to be for you, but I think it's a nice thing. To try, like I've used it all sorts. Sometimes when I'm stuck in a traffic jam, I'll just do a bit of tapping to calm down.
0: (laughs) That's a great image of someone in a traffic jam doing tapping on their temples and under their nose and on their chin. Are these techniques that you acquired as you were starting this career, or were these techniques that helped you move through binging and purging?
1: yeah good question so these are techniques I acquired um sometimes people do ask me not usually on a podcast but more um maybe in Instagram DMs or something or like tell me how you recovered so I can do it as well because I think there's kind of sculptural isn't there of like oh eat like me look like me do what I did get to the point but I'm like I'm if I go back I wouldn't do what I did to recover because I think I could have recovered a lot quicker or easier if I actually had these tools Um, and me I'd already studied psychology um, so I was like mm, how old was I like 23 24 when um, I would say the eating disorder started obviously there's indicators and diets and stuff before then but I'd say when it got quite bad Um, and so I knew about habits and the habit loop and stuff um, but I didn't know all this about um, I didn't know as much about nutrition as I know now and um, so I definitely wasn't helping myself because I was trying to recover by going on juice cleansers and stuff like I knew I didn't want to do it I kind of had that motivation and end goal in sight but I didn't really know how to get it other than thinking like well the binge and purge is my reward how could I get a different reward which is something that I do with clients now but I think we do so much more about looking like Where did this kind of come from um, and all
0: of that? I don't mean to interrupt, but I know exactly what you're saying when you say the binge and purge is a reward. I don't know if everybody understands that because some people might think, how can binging and purging be a reward? So, And by the way, these explanations help take away the shame. So can you explain what you mean by that?
1: Yes. so a cub, well things are rewarding for different people for different reasons um on the like physiological side if you're really really hungry if you've been restricting or if you've been on a diet maybe or you're following like intermittent fasting and not realizing that it's restriction but your body hasn't been getting the calories and the energy that it needs then actually that um the foods that we binge on are typically like high sugar foods, probably like these convenience foods. People say that, like, I just want to eat those foods. Like I part of me doesn't want to. Part of me is like, no, they are bad, which they're not bad. But part, the part of you is thinking they are. Um, and then the other part of you is like, oh, I just want those. I want that sugar rush. I just uh, can have other rewards in terms of sometimes people say like, can just forget about all their problems when you're eating you can be so focused on that and involved in that that you're not having to think about all the stresses of the day um and for me um my bulimia was i would make myself sick um and that was kind of like a release as well and it releases endorphins and i feel like i almost became addicted to the being sick part which Sounds really strange if it's not happened to you because I hated being sick when I was little. Like I hate. What I think most people do. And then suddenly I was wanting to do it every day, multiple times a day. Like wanting, too, because it somehow felt good to me. And then the shame would come. Then I would feel guilty. Then I'd promise myself I'd never do it again. So it wasn't all good in a no reward. Um, and then also for me personally. reward of doing it was um I was really stressing out about doing my PhD um and the work and it just meant that actually this is what I only found out kind of when I was recovering but I was like oh the reward is I don't have to go to uni if I'm at home doing this or if I'm like so drained I just felt like a zombie um for a good while then I don't have to go and do that thing that I don't want to do. And I didn't consciously think this but that was what was going on and I don't know if you can think of any other other ways it can be a reward well I think it is
0: it's as you said it's it's unique to everyone I know some people talk about the reward being sort of like the rush of emotions as you're purging it's just sort of cleansing you getting everything out I know people with trauma don't like to feel anything inside their body um I i definitely agree with all the other things you said that when you're in the middle of a binge purge episode, there is no outside world. And, you know, the word addicted is such a provocative word in our field, at least from my experience, because there has been talk that an eating disorder is not an addictive behavior. My thought, and everybody please hear me again, my personal thought, not evidence-based, is that we get into these patterns where we get, I, I was never addicted to the behaviors. I was addicted to feeling numb. I was addicted to feeling hollow. I was, it, hang on. Let me, let me take this back for a second. I, I got high from those feelings and. I felt so badly about myself. I wanted to feel high from being so numb, if that makes sense. So I was addicted to the feeling I got ultimately from being in behaviors, which was I felt high. I felt powerful, which we feel when sometimes from drugs and substances. I felt more confident, which happens with substances. I felt more... um, more gregarious I felt all these things and that's what I was addicted to
1: it makes sense because I was thinking when you're talking about I think people if they are restricting almost get addicted to it's the same it feels like addictive to being empty or hungry and then feeling almost that sense of pride in that I think people can sometimes people can almost get a high from not eating as well or exercise um, people can feel quite addicted to that and I guess for me the other side of the um like addiction conversation I don't think it's an addiction in the way that people might be addicted to alcohol say uh, I think there are differences biologically in things Um, and also I think we'll maybe come to, on to talk about recovery because I think there's differences how I view recovery from an eating disorder as opposed to drugs or alcohol it's the kind of escalating behavior as well in that maybe um, for me I would binge and purge like once a week and um I just want to say I, I know this conversation can also be triggering with people comparing amounts of behavior but for me um over time then it got to be like I would do it every day and then that wasn't enough I've got to do it more and when I'm on holiday I'm thinking about it when I can't do it and I really want to do it and I'm planning my life around when I can do it like exercise i would say i felt quite addicted to exercise at points and i would like not go to events that i wanted to go to because i had to exercise christmas day i would wake up and have to exercise and just to say again this is my experience of the disordered eating you can still be struggling whatever your experience sounds like you might think oh i only make myself sick once a month is that an issue or can be a very big issue For you, so I'm not trying to compare. I'm just making a point about the
0: escalation and changing behaviors, and the idea that the behavior is going to be a permanent fix to a problem when we know it's a temporary solution. And when I use the word solution, I'm actually saying that tongue in cheek. It is a temporary fix, if that's, and then you need to do it again because the problem never goes away. So the only way to navigate through the is to continue doing it. And so I I think it sounds like we're saying very, very similar things.
1: Yeah, I think a big light bulb for me in recovery was when I realized, actually, this behavior isn't solving my problem. <laughs> and also, I think when I realized actually what you were just saying, like, actually, even me, like, at one point walking to the shop to get food to binge on, I already felt happy. And then suddenly I was like, it's not even the food or the being sick that's doing it. Because even if I think about doing it, I'm happy. Not the thing itself. It was just such a big light bulb. It was like, yeah. Okay, so you obviously don't, even though you're feeling like you need that thing, you obviously don't. There's something else that could take its place as a different coping mechanism or different behavior to, to achieve that thing. Outcome, or what we might call like a reward
0: in a bad commas, it's also ritual. And so, ritual when we feel like our world is chaotic, we go back to our ritual. And just like you said, even walking to the store to get food calmed you down. You were beginning your ritual, you were beginning to quiet that chaos, you were beginning to bring everything to, to a halt. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's, it's all it's, it's, I guess you could use multiple different words, addiction, ritual, rewards, whatever it is. And I think it is very unique for each person. And I think it changes from time to time. It's not always a reward. It's not always a ritual. So again, I want to make sure we're not making any general statements or at least... Yeah. So anyway, th- the thing that that I don't think we talk about that often is the severity of medical consequences from binging and purging, from binging and laxative abuse, from binging and over exercise. So can you speak a little bit to that?
1: Yes, let me try. Um, There's so many things that I'm sure every time I'm on podcast, I'm like, oh, I should write them down and then I can just read them off. Um, I tend to go from head to toe. So it's not an order of this is the most scary kind of one. Um, but just thinking of your brain um, and how it's I suppose it's not really a medical consequence, but um how it impacts your thoughts, your judgments about things, and how big changes there. Like we said about the endorphins from the exercise and starting to feel like you're addicted to those behaviors. Um, actually, if you're purging, you can like burst blood vessels in your eyes and all sorts of things, um, kind of moving down, it can really affect your teeth. Um, and that was a big motivation for me to stop. It was a really um. I've got problems with my teeth now because of it. Um obviously like um saliva glands or jaw often people say their face kind of swells swells up which unfortunately can be something that doesn't just go away when you stop um purging like you can have serious damage to your like esophagus um, from all the acids being sick which is why it impacts your teeth um as well because of the acid um going on affects your electrolyte levels um, which is probably the most serious one in terms of then that can affect your heart um and you can have heart problems you can actually even die um because of how it affects your electrolytes and people always think well it won't happen to me but definitely if you're um, kind of feeling faint or dizzy or if you're like experiencing like palpitations or fluttering kind of a warning sign that something is definitely not okay and even if you're not getting those it doesn't mean everything is okay um can really affect your stomach um, from making yourself vomit, um, which again, potentially doesn't just go back to normal. Um, as soon as you stop, like I you know I had periods of, um, even after I'd stopped making myself, so just waking up in the morning and feeling really nauseous, which is really annoying because I was trying to go on with my day in my life, um, but it was like, oh, I just stop it and then it'll go away for a bit and come back. Um, I was not a very good, um, it's not the right word. I did go to the doctor about it. They were going to give me some tablets, but the tablets are basically all the side effects of what I was experiencing. So I didn't take them, and I did work with a nutritionist um, for a little bit to try and help my um, like gut bacteria, like acid levels and stuff. Um, so the main ones, I think they're the main ones, um, with uh, making yourself vomit, in terms of laxatives again it can affect your digestive function actually if you're using them too much your stomach and um, digestive system almost like I can't think out of a phrase it's like <sighs> learns how to stop working that's not quite right but you know what I mean it's not having to be used um in the same way so then again if you just stop taking them actually you might end up with constipation or other issues so I think it's really important to see a, a professional when you're kind of um taking laxatives or reducing or stopping. Um, I suppose just the general like health of your skin, health of your hair, because your body is being put through all this massive stress, um, when you're engaging in those behaviours and then in terms of like over exercise, kind of like overuse injuries, it could be a whole host of different things. Um, I'm sure there's some that I've left out, but just to say with this sort of thing, Often, I don't know if you experience this or uh, talk to you experiences, it's kind of like, okay, all those things, all those like bad vertical common things could happen, but won't happen to me, or like the desire for the behaviors is kind of like so much stronger than those reasons. So I think your point in asking this question is to help people be informed. These things can happen, even if you're hearing them and thinking like, oh, I don't actually care, that's okay, but just keep them in the back of your mind to add to the evidence of why binging purging is not a good idea.
0: By the way, I do know from my own experience with an eating disorder and from working with clients for so long, I could sit down or somebody could have said to me, you're going to die from these behaviors or you are whatever it is. I was like, yeah, yeah. Tell it to the person next to me. That's never going to happen to me. And it's true. And and it's unfortunate. And one of the reasons why I bring it up is because, yes, I think that sometimes it sort of tucks away. People are like, it's never going to happen to me. But every once in a while that those words pop up in your head. And to be honest with you, if loved ones don't understand the seriousness of bulimia they may not attend to it as as seriously as it should be as it needs to be and so I do want everyone to know I mean with all eating disorders so I just it just dawned on me though we just we don't really talk about it that often for bulimia.
1: Go ahead. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I work with scientists. I'm like a... But yeah, to be honest, on my social media, I don't really, because I think it's not like exciting for people, but maybe I should talk about it a bit more. It's not
0: exciting, and it's just the truth the reality of it. And again, I had a number of medical consequences from my eating disorder, and they were not nearly as terrifying as me giving up my eating disorder. So there there, there comes a time when you are in a different place in the process and you shift into a more of a recovery mind where you think, oh my gosh, what have I been doing to myself? And, and even then you're still like, oh, but I can still do it. it you know, it's, it's a very slow process, but I do look back and I think to myself, I thank God that I'm still here. And I want to say, I did not have the strongest eating disorder. Like I'm not, like I'm the one that had, I had an eating disorder. I had anorexia nervosa and I abused laxatives, which that in and of itself is serious. But, I think people have this idea. I have to be the sickest to have medical consequences. I was not the sickest, but I was sick enough. as Gen gadiani's book says, "I was sick enough, and one behavior is sick enough and can create medical consequences. Go ahead, you look like you were actually
1: thinking about that book before you said it because I was going to say even. Um, people who maybe their behaviours are more severe, but actually because of their genetics or their biology, they're not getting the medical symptoms, the medical consequences that someone who maybe was engaging in a lesser level of behaviour might be getting. So we really don't know. Kind of like public or lottery, really. I kind of took that out of the book that she was saying, like some people might get the symptom, other people might not because of genetics. But it doesn't mean that the eating disorders not taking over your life still. Um, also, just backtracking a little bit, I think how I approach um, talking about the medical consequences with clients is we kind of look, what is the knock-on effect of those consequences? So if, it is if you're making yourself vomit and then you're getting stomach aches, how is that affecting you? Well, maybe when I go to work, can't concentrate because I'm really, feeling really ill or I don't want to go up my friends because now I feel... So on one hand, we kind of look, okay, but What if you're experiencing these things, how is it impacting the things that you do care about in your life? Um, But also the other one that I hear in regards to uh, bulimia is like almost like a get out of jail free card. I'll take the laxatives and then it doesn't matter. I've had that binge, but actually... You maybe feel emptier, but they're working on your digestive system after you've already digested the food. So it's not working in the way that you think it is. And also in terms of making yourself vomit, you can't get rid of all the food. Um, And also biologically, what it does to your body, which I won't go into all the (laughs) pathways and stuff, but basically turns your cells into fat storing mode, which is the opposite of what you want to be happening. So it's not a get out of jail free card. I think that's the one thing I keep reinforcing to people because, oh, sorry, I was going to say we trick ourselves, but it's not a trick in the beginning because you probably believe this is a gouger free card. And I think people have the interim period when I've given them the evidence and then they're like, oh, but no, based on my weight is not changing when I'm having that big binge and I'm doing this, then I don't believe you, Rachel. Then I think it started to filter through and they're suddenly like, oh, actually, yeah, do you know what? This behavior has got consequences.
0: I also want to say anything that causes us distress, like how you were saying you couldn't even go on vacation without thinking about how am I going to engage in behaviors? Where am I going to get the food? So I often say it is not specifically about the medical consequences. I want you to think about how much time is how much time and space in your brain, in your heart is being taken up when, as opposed to being excited about going on vacation, as opposed to thinking about what you're going to, you know, looking around to say, well, what are we going to do while we're on vacation? So it is, it is time consuming. It robs us of our memories, of our present experiences, of of future. I mean, it is, it is an unbelievable it it is it it sucks the life out of us literally and unfortunately some people like i said literally that happens and it is real what is it that you have on your website and i apologize i can't remember it's an ebook is that what it is and what, and what what is that for explain that a little bit
1: Oh, yeah, it's very linked uh, to this conversation. I'm like, gosh, it's no homework. Um, so, yeah, this ebook actually helps take you through what we're talking about now, looking at basically the pros and cons of the eating disorder, which sounds really boring, but it is so insightful. Um, and also just to see it written down on paper, what is it costing me to carry on with these behaviours? It's probably costing you, like, relationships, so or friendships, um, or parents, or, like, a partner, um, you know, like you've just said, costing you memories. Um and also I give examples kind of in the ebook as like prompts because people often get really stuck um on it. But if you're binging probably costing you a lot of money in order to be able to do that. So having them down on paper, sometimes people say it's almost like I can't kid myself anymore. Like when they occasionally just float like past in my head, like, oh, this isn't good, you can kind of ignore it or push it away. But if you just see them, you're like, Oh. Uh, and then we have a look at actually what might be good about this behaviour, which sounds weird because usually when people download the ebook, they've realised that they don't want an eating disorder anymore. Uh, so often people's first response is, well, there's nothing good about this. But as we talked about earlier, actually, there are those rewards that maybe you're getting that chance to zone out or you're enjoying the food. Sometimes people say, like, well, if I didn't binge, I wouldn't let myself eat that food. So I've got to have this binge so I can eat it. Uh, then we have a look at what would be the negatives about changing, or like what are you worried about if things change, so that might be like, well I don't know how to cope, if things changed. Um, that's usually like a main one, or um, what would other people think of me, if suddenly my body shape changed because of the result of it, oh, what if I put on weight, um, and then we have a look at what would be good about changing, how would that positively impact your relationships like we say your holidays your work basically all areas of your life how would it be so much better if maybe you were more accepting of your body or you didn't like binge and purge and have those really ups and downs maybe you might be less irritable you'd probably be more present in the moment so it kind of just takes people um through all of that really
0: yeah I know this sounds like it's it's a big turn but it's not but I was thinking about it because of your website you also do hypnotherapy and I forgot to bring this up forgive me everyone so how does hypnotherapy fit in with helping with eating disorders
1: yeah oh no problem <laughs> I'm not talking about it. it's fine there's so much to talk about Um. so this is going to get to the point of answering the question but When I was studying my undergraduate degree in psychology, I thought hypnotherapy was stupid um, because it's kind of hard. We do have more evidence um, kind of now, but it's kind of hard to design a study to test hypnotherapy because CBT or something like that, cognitive behavioral therapy, we can actually see, okay, this has happened in in a session with a therapist. Here's the outcomes. Obviously, hypnotherapy is more subjective and we're working on someone's subconscious mind. So it's a lot harder to test and I was like evidence-based, evidence-based, which obviously is good. Um, However, when I started working with clients, um, like the first year or so, I was using all my skills that I'd learned. We were using the techniques, but for some people I was like, oh, there's something just so underlying here that I don't feel like we're getting to. How can I get to this quicker? I don't want my client to have to come to me for nine months. And we're still talking about the same things, like I want to help people quicker um so then I kind of looked into hypnotherapy oh I know what I was and um, I was doing a business course and the lady who was running that had trained in hypnotherapy um I kind of did some um, sessions on other and I was like oh okay this seems really good um so I trained in hypnotherapy it's got a cheesy name the kind that I did it's called rapid transformational therapy um which you know I do talk about it. it's not magic it's still it's hypnotherapy um but I just feel like the sessions we pick a specific topic as well like so the question might be like um why am I scared to gain weight or why do I always perceive weight loss where's binging coming from or emotional eating coming from Um, and the kind that I do the client will think about memories related to that question um and obviously if if we know someone's had trauma, I can do it in a more trauma informed way that they're not going straight back to the memory, but in general, um, we'll think about those memories and kind of what we were talking about earlier. Actually, understand how they have impacted the person today, and by going back and looking at them, usually we can see like, like someone's made a belief that was like based on a misunderstanding, or you know, either a misunderstanding of what someone else said or their interpretation. Or their response, say, when they were five to a situation, you know, that was scary, was appropriate for a five-year-old. But they have still got a subconscious belief linked to that, which is influencing them today. But actually, they're an adult now. They've got so many more coping skills that we can start to change that belief and change how they respond to it. Or uh, if our clients do sessions about, like, feeling guilty about eating. And then we've gone back to guilt that's actually related to other things that they've managed to release. So then they haven't transferred it to the food. They don't feel guilty. They can eat those foods um, now. And then also at the end of the session, people get a recording to listen to, which is really bespoke. It's really personal to them based on what they've told me that they want to get out of the session, um, which is just really helpful to focus their mind on what they do want. Because often people are saying like, well, I don't want to binge eat. I need to stop binge eating. Your brain is focusing on binge eating. You probably hear people say, like if I say, don't think about pink elephant. Well, you think about the pink elephant so you can then not think about it, which is kind of the same with binging. So we're painting this picture of what they do want, which they'll keep listening to in the recording and building up those normal pathways of what they want. So I just think it's a really nice, um, it's nice integrated with everything else that I do because I think some people are like, oh, I'll well, just go for hypnotherapy. But then I think you're missing out on the rebalancing elements.
0: Well, I, I also think people have a misunderstanding of hypnotherapy. And I myself recently experienced something that I perceived as a trauma, and I couldn't move through it. And it was paralyzing me. I was in, in utter fear. um, And it was impacting my every day. And I went to a hypnotherapist. Now, the hypnotherapist didn't snap her fingers and put me under and take this thought out and throw it away. And then when I wake up, I like cluck like a chicken every time someone says the word green light. It, it's not like that at all. I remained very present during all of my sessions. But as you were saying, I was guided to a place where and I felt so protected that I could actually keep going further and further into where this core belief came from. And so again, it's not about being put under and magically it gets taken away from you or, you know, it is, it is a really powerful, sacred method that if you find someone and you feel safe and connected and you and and you allow yourself to drop into it can be incredibly healing. And as you said, part of the healing process, there is never one thing. CBT is not the only way to heal from eating disorders. It is a huge part of it, but there's other, there's relational pieces, there's humanistic, there's all these other things that go along with it. And so I I think that hypnotherapy is is fantastic. And and I also want to say as I'm saying this out loud everybody forgive me. I'm not I'm not saying this as an endorsement and I'm not saying this is like uh, you should all go out and do it. I'm just saying from my experience it was very very healing and it was a really beautiful process for me. So I don't know if you have anything to say it to
1: yeah I think that was a good point like I do um talk to clients before they start working with me um, about hypnotherapy and I'm very clear like this is collaborative it's not magic <laughs> you know um, and also I can't make you do anything that you don't want to do um you know I'm not sure if um, people listening will know like Darren Brown do you know Darren Brown is? I do not oh he does like stage hypnosis shows but a lot of what he does is more like sleight of hand. And then also with like stage hypnosis, they will pick the people who are most suggestible or pick people that, do you know, those people that when they get drunk might end up dancing on a table anyway. And also, if you really didn't want to be hypnotized or anything, he wouldn't even be there in the first place. So it's kind of like all those qualities. Um, so I, I'm i not going to make anyone do anything stupid. <laughs> doing stupid. It's very like therapy focused and helping you reach your. Cool. so usually people are reassured I once had this lady lovely lady who like uh, she really wanted the hypnotherapy but like started crying when I was like okay let's you know go into hypnosis um I obviously checked that she was okay and we did it and she's like oh I really enjoyed that it was so much different to what I thought because like you say she was quite aware the whole time sometimes people do feel like they go deeper and it's a, more, a bit more dreamy or like really relaxed you know if you've been to yoga and they do a meditation at the end and you're just like ah. Oh, this is so relaxing so people do experience it differently or even when I've had sessions on myself I experience different sessions differently based on the topic or who's guiding it um but yeah I guess my opinion is it's not something to be scared of um it's if you're curious like ask the questions about it learn more about it but personally I think having one-to-one sessions is a lot more impactful because like I could just make a recording and sell it on my website, but it's not getting to the heart of the issue for the person. Um, I think especially with eating disorders, that's what's required. I think if it was something like, I want confidence in public speaking, okay, then maybe a more general recording would work. But I think there's so much going on when someone got to the point of having an eating disorder um, that that one-to-one support is way more helpful.
0: Rachel, I agree. Uh, I say this all the time, but I and I mean it every time. I am so sorry. We are going to have to start winding down. And I hate to abruptly say we're ending the podcast, but as you can tell by our conversation, we could go for quite some time. Is there anything that I didn't ask you or you wanted to say that you wanted to share with listeners before we ended?
1: I will try and keep it short, um, just based on the conversation about addiction. And when I was saying, I feel like recovery from an eating disorder is different from um, recovery from another addiction. And people who recover from those might feel differently to the general rhetoric. Um, but I really don't like, um, you know, this very well. someone's like, oh, I'm an alcoholic for life. Well, I wouldn't think, well, firstly, I don't think we should call ourselves bulimic because we're giving ourselves that label. But I wouldn't say like, oh well, I'm bulimic for life now. I have to have issues my whole life because I did in that period. For me, I don't have the thoughts. Well, I definitely don't have the behaviours anymore. Rarely would I get thoughts because I've done the work through that. It doesn't impact my day to day. Maybe once or twice a year there'll be things that I'll be like have to think of it more deeply about that might catch me a bit unaware. A bit, oh, that's come up. But I've got the skills to you know talk to myself. So for me. I think you can be fully recovered and have a life after it. I don't know enough about drug or alcohol addiction because that's not something that I work with, but just based on, like I say, that general overview of, like, oh, but you're an addict for life now. And I don't think it's motivating for someone to say, oh, well, you can recover, but you'll always be influenced by it. Like, why would I bother to recover if it doesn't sound like it's going to be fun? Um, so I just really wanted to say that.
0: I agree. I I don't know if I would have recovered if I thought that I would have to hold on to certain traits the rest of my life or certain behaviors or thoughts or whatnot. So, you know, here's here's to full recovery. I don't think I've ever said that before. (laughs) (laughs) Rachel, from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you for being a guest on the show. It has been wonderful having you here.
1: Yeah, thank you so much.
0: All right, everyone, that does it for another episode of Recovery Bites. I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next week. Take care and stay safe. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Recovery Bites. Be sure to visit recoverybitespodcast.com to join the conversation, access show notes, Listen to past episodes and more. You can also find us by searching for Recovery Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and major podcast streaming players. For weekly episode releases, you can follow us at at Pod on Instagram. If you're interested in becoming a guest on the show or to submit a guest request, please visit karenlewisedc.com forward slash podcast sign up to begin the process. I'd also like to send out a heartfelt thank you to my producer, Jen Galvin. It is unbelievable the magic she does behind the scenes. All right, everyone. See you next week for another Recovery Bite. Thanks for listening.